This is Clarksville's Conversation. I'm Rob Selko, talking today with a longtime public servant who I'm going to introduce in just a moment. First, we go back to a tense time for Fort Campbell when sequestration had threatened the future of the Army Post. And today's guest was right up front on the issue, telling citizens, get involved, write letters, attend a Pentagon listening session. 2015, the Little League field, Stokes Field, was damaged by vandals. He led the effort to get that fixed up. June 2014, a cross is burned in front of a Clarksville church. In 2014, a cross burned, and this man called for unity with these words, it's time for good people to stand up. State Representative Joe Pitts, who announced his retirement from the House this year, what is the philosophy behind those words? It's time for good people to stand up. Good day, Joe Pitts. Thank you. Thank you for recounting that um, bit of history. Um, you know, we're, we're better than that. And so it's time for good people to stand up because if we don't, the bad people will run us over. You know, you're taught as a kid growing up, I hope you are, I hope most children are taught that, you know, bullies will be bullies, but sometimes you just got to stand up. And when I went and I saw the cross in that particular um, case, when I saw the cross laying on the ground in front of that church, this was not just two sticks tied together. This was a carefully manufactured cross with a piece of rag tied to it. Uh, don't know if it was soaked in anything, anything but uh, to burn, but it was clearly not just happenstance. It was deliberate. So I thought, no, no, we're better than that. It's time for good people to stand up. And this community came out in a large turnout, just wrapped our arms around that church and just said, okay, you know, we're behind you. We're behind you. So that was, I was just proud of our community for that. When you'd first heard about that incident, what went through your head? Well, as you said, 2014 and people are still burning crosses. Come on. It just kind of shows you as far as we've come, we really haven't come very far. And what happens in the dark usually comes to light. And so some people who had some very dark thoughts and thought they could do something in the dark of night and not be exposed. And uh, yet we exposed it for what it was. And, you know, the light over always overcomes darkness. And so in this case, the light of this community uh, overcame the darkness of that burnt cross. So that was my thought. Let me ask you, you've completed 12 years in the state legislature. What have been the highlights of your time serving as a state representative? What's what's your takeaway? Well, the highlight is always getting to help constituents because I went in from day one, from my very first election, 2006, November. And I said from that moment forward, I was going to do the best I could for my constituents. If you called or you saw me in a grocery store or the Little League field or wherever, and you had a question, you had a need, I was going to be very open and willing to do some homework, research that, and get back to you. And hopefully I've met that standard or exceeded that standard. Because I've been on the other end. I've called public servants, elected officials before I got elected and never got a call back, never got a response. And I thought, you know, there's got to be a better way. So that that's the highlight, I think, uh, of my 12 years. Hopefully I've met or exceeded that standard. Did you go into it? Did you begin your life of public service with an agenda? These are my issues, or did they develop over time through communicating the way you just described? You know, I think they developed over time. I didn't go in saying, you know, I want to be, I want to be focused on education and veterans and their families. That just sort of evolved over time. Um, you know, you can either, you can either 
identify issues that are important to you or they'll identify you. And so what I've tried to do is just pick out a couple of things that I thought were important to this district, this community, and this state, and that just happens to be education and veterans. You've returned to those again and again. What what have been the strides in uh, in education over that time? Well, you know, we are... Our state government loves to go around talking about how much we've improved in public education, you know, from uh, scores, test scores, assessment, children graduating in record numbers, those kinds of things. Um, I'm most proud of the fact that we've invested money in education, public education. We've, we're spending nearly half a billion dollars more in public education now than we were even five, six, seven years ago. Um, so it takes money to operate a good quality system like public education. So I'm most proud of that. Um, and, but I think we can do, still do more. I think government has a tendency to intervene and interfere um, in processes where they don't need to. You know, if just get out of teacher's way. They know what they're doing. You know, they go to school. They they learn, and every child comes into that classroom differently. It, it's not like some sort of widget that comes in and, you know, you manipulate it and then send it out the door as a finished product. Every child brings their own particular talents and skills to the classroom, so that teacher's trained to be able to deal with that. And by and large, teachers are doing a magnificent job. But the stress on teachers, we cannot sustain. We can't keep changing the overall system of public education, the standards keep changing on a regular basis and the expectation keeps changing and we're putting more and more pressure on teachers. You drive by any school um, at six o'clock in the morning, you'll see cars, you'll see teachers, faculty, staff cars parked there because they're already there. You drive by at six o'clock at night, chances are good. You'll still see cars of teachers and staff who are there. So, it's, you know, it's, it's a stressful job uh, just by itself, but we're, we're going to have to kind of pause a moment, just give them some room to breathe and to kind of catch up and then pick back up. Doesn't mean we let up off the accelerator, to, to use an overused phrase or cliche, but it does mean that we have to give them a little bit more room. What they do is a calling. I mean, they're not, they are not in it for the money. That really is a calling. Indeed it is. Yeah. And they'll tell you that. Um, why else would they be buying supplies out of their own pocket? Why else would they be paying lunch uh, tickets for, for students? Um, you know, it's amazing what teachers spend out of their own pockets, and they don't make enough to begin with. And it's a myth to say, well, they get three months off in the summer. You know, that's laughable. <laughs> that's just laughable. They don't. I mean, they're in in-service. They're in professional development. They're seeking out opportunities to improve. You know, they're going in, redecorating classrooms and just getting ready for the next year. Uh, but no, they're not off very little, frankly. Joe, why is it that the goals and objectives for teachers, the ones that are set by lawmakers, why is that always a moving target? Well, the public clamors for quality education. And I don't know how we evolved or gotten to this point where teachers have become the target um, and that's unfortunate because if you spend any time in a classroom and we're spoiled in Clarkson Montgomery County we have got such fantastic schools uh, every school I don't care what neighborhood you live in what street you're on uh, you've got a good quality school nearby um, but you know people who are detached 
from public education see it, I guess, as a honeypot. You know, it's one of the last bastions of public service that is not privatized. And so, you know, when you spend a billion dollars on education, that gets some people's attention, especially those who want to make a dollar. Uh, And I hate to be so crass and uh, just kind of put it in those terms, but there's no other explanation. Well, profit's not a dirty word, but you can't apply it to every enterprise that we engage in. No, no. And I'm not against making a profit, but not at the expense of undermining an institution's work so well, especially when the framers of our state constitution put it in there. And, and, you know, Article 11, Section 12 says the General Assembly shall provide for the support, maintenance, and standards of eligibility for a a system of free public schools. You know, it's pretty black and white, pretty clear to me what we need to do as a state says public schools. It doesn't say schools. What's been your experience with your fellow lawmakers in uh, getting that important work done? Well, I think early on, I spent probably the first year or two, my first term, probably just listening, building relationships. uh, And that's critical. Um, I've not looked at it as a partisan uh, divide. It's been more about, you know, who are the subject matter experts? Who's been there the longest? Who, who can help me understand issues? I, I'm a process-oriented guy, and so I like to understand the process about how things get done. And if you look at the most effective legislators, um, th- they are the same way. They look at how things get done. They're very pragmatic. They work uh, with each other. Uh, sometimes you've got to put the hammer down, though, um, and to get some things done. But most of the times, it's more about compromise. And I know that's a dirty word these days. Um, but, you know, life is about compromise. Uh, so that's kind of how I kind of approach serving. Well, we're going to pick up and talk more about that in just a minute. You're listening to Clarksville's Conversation. I'm Rob Selko talking with uh, now retired State Representative Joe Pitts. <clears throat> This is Clarksville's Conversation. I'm Rob Selko with State Representative Joe Pitts. And before the break, you were talking about really the value of experience in lawmakers in terms of getting things done. You touched on uh, compromise, working together, reaching across uh, the aisle. Um, Do our lawmakers do that? I mean, you know there's a divide down here. It happens at Thanksgiving. It happens at the workplace. It happens anytime you have a discussion. Oh, sure. We pick whose side we're on and whether we're going to like this guy or not. I've got relatives that I have a difficult time talking to. I'm ashamed to say. Yeah. But we have to talk about other things. Right. Um, how about up there where you guys are making law? Well, I've heard it said the beauty of our democracy is the competition of ideas. So if you can, if you can use that sort of as your framework where your ideas are not framed in terms of Democrat, Republican, Independent, you know, Tea Party, moderate, liberal, conservative, you know, you try not to frame those issues, but, you know, I still, I begin to sense a creeping in of a very hardened partisan approach. And I'm not blaming it on one party or the other because both sides or all sides have blame. Uh, But you're beginning to see that. But I think for the most part, you've still got a legislature in this state that wants to do the right thing. It's just how do we get there? Um, and I use, for example, the mantra smaller government. Everybody wants smaller government. Well, be careful what you ask for because you may get it. Uh, and a good example is if you reduce 
government funding for vital services, you may get invested in one person, literally one person in an office that has control and control is a probably not the right word, but has the opportunity and the responsibility over a particular issue like septic tank issues, being able to site approved sites for builders for septic tanks. There may be just one person in that office for the entire county. And I'm not talking about county government or city, but I'm talking about state government overall that has that responsibility. And if that person's out for a week, nothing gets done. And that's because we've shrunk government to the point where maybe we don't have enough people. Uh, so I always tell people, just be careful what you ask for, because you just may get it. Well, what came to mind when you started to give the answer to that question was the sorry state of the interstate between here and Nashville, where um, you can't go 100 feet without hitting a significant pothole. Oh, yeah, it's pretty bad. It is bad. Yeah. And there's, and there's not a cheap fix there, is there? No, no, it's not. Thankfully, we were able to, um, to approve the Improve Act, which, you know, I'm always a little leery when, when legislation's given a fancy name, but, uh, you know, I got to read the fine print. But no, it, it's not cheap. It's not easy. Let's switch for a minute and just talk about the right to complain if you don't bother to vote, the voter turnout. Mm. You know, wow. uh, it, it's fundamental to our democracy, and, and sadly, it's almost always predictably low. Um, what, why is that the case, and what is the consequence of not participating in the process? Well, I don't, I don't really have the answer, the answer, you know, I just have my opinion. Um, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the product that we put out there to vote for. And I'm talking about the candidates. Sometimes candidates aren't exactly the most appealing, uh, product that we can put out there for people to want to get motivated, energized, excited about voting for. Um, so that could be a contributing factor. You know, I talked to groups all the time, try to spend as much time in front of young, younger groups, high schoolers, college students, uh, others, and just tell them the number one thing they can do is don't just register to vote, but you got to vote, but you got to also pay attention to what the candidates stand for. What are the issues that are important to you, important to your community, uh, and important to the country and then vote accordingly. But there seems to be just this general it doesn't matter. You know, I've got other things to do. They're not listening anyway, they being elected officials. So I don't know. I, I think it starts with the product that we put out there and promote to vote for, which is probably less than stellar sometimes. Take us behind the process, Joe. Since you've been up there and you've seen law made from the inside, you've seen how other lawmakers operate, how they respond to uh, their constituents, what have you seen up there happen when when voters reach out to their lawmakers? Uh, is there another side that's a positive? Well, I think so. I think you you see um, you see uh, elected officials, legislators respond to constituents who call about a particular issue, passionate about a particular issue. Um, we're getting ready to vote in the coming days on seven day liquor sales. Um, and it's easy to look at that 
and just look at that headline or that phrase and, and then form an opinion. But you really kind of need to look beyond that. But what I've seen is um, the tide of public opinion being able to influence um, outcomes. Um, so if I had any words of encouragement is to for people to get involved in the process by getting to know who their legislators are once they're elected or even before, hopefully, but even after they're elected and just get to know them, let them get to know you and what, what's important to you. Um, and don't just come with a problem, you know, try to offer, Hey, here's a solution. Here's an idea. If you hadn't thought about it, um, because as you know, people know we're not the sharpest knives in the drawer and we don't, we can't be an expert on everything. So yeah, I've seen some positives, um, result as because people are reaching out. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, we're about out of time for this segment, but I thank you for being here. Let me ask you, Joe, what's the best way for listeners to, uh, if they want to stay in touch with you, no longer going to have an office up there in Nashville, or down there in Nashville, um, how can people stay connected? Well, you know, I've made no secret about my cell phone number, uh, my phone number. Uh, I have a, still have a landline at home. People can still call that and leave a message. Um, you know, I'm still going to be very active in the community and, you know, I love my hometown and, and we just love our community. So we're going to be still be very active and in a number of different ways. Um, so, you know, call me, send me an email, stop by and see me, you know, or stop me if you see me, um, cause I'm always willing to help, uh, even after this season of life ends. Well, thanks so much. Thank you, Rob. This is Clarksville's conversation. Our guest has been Joe Pitts. For details and links on today's topic, go to ClarksvillesConversation.com or find the link on ClarksvilleNow.com.